We are delighted to be able to spend this time with you, and we need to give you a word of uh, fair warning. We are going to try to cover a lot of stuff. This is sort of an amalgam of two different presentations that we've done, so hang fast your seat belts, uh, although we actually think we might have time for some interaction and Q&A. I like the fact we can, we're close up here, and I might, I guess we're not going to get down and run around there, but that's okay. <clears throat> we're, one of the things that we always are concerned about is that in, in something like this where there's a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts going on that you, everybody goes home with something. And the image you're going to, that's going to come up uh, occasionally is something that only older people remember, which is when you go to a nice restaurant and you wanted to take some of the food home, instead of that styrofoam thing, they'd give you a doggy bag. Have you ever seen a doggy bag? And you know what I'm talking about? You have a picture of a dog and it was, you were taking home for your dog, but of course you ate it. So if we can have one idea, two ideas, three ideas, come home with you, stay with you, chew on during the week, we will feel like we have accomplished something. And we really have prayed coming over here, and I would ask that you pray too, that God will prepare what you, you may hear something that we weren't even saying, that he's got something, something that he wants you to hear about this. Um, so with that kind of a brief introduction. I'm going to try this cool new thing I've got. Look at that. Oh, awesome. So this so is... So can I um, ask you a question on that? He loaded an app for his iPhone to control... Yes. That. Does that mean on Sunday morning you can totally mess him up? Uh, yeah, I'm going to phone in and I can mess awesome. up the slides. Okay. <laughs> so we, we started uh, this... Um, in one week from tonight, at exactly this time, will be this event called the State of the Union. Can you all see, are we just right in the way of your view of our incredible PowerPoints here. I don't want to miss that. Um, this is a big deal. This is a speech given by the President of the United States. It's mandated by the Constitution. Next week, when we have a little more time, I may do a little quiz about the State of the Union with some valuable prizes for people <laughs> with the right answers. But here the President speaks to uh, both House of Congress and the Cabinet and the Supreme Court about what's going on in the country. And it will be happening a week from tonight at 6 o'clock when we're here. So we figured the only way to get anybody here was to talk about sex. Because we figured that, you know, that would be a good way to do it. But the, I mean, to get some people here who are otherwise would be glued to their TV sets to watch yeah, the right. State of the Union address. Mm -hmm. In fact, the State of the Union, as important as it is, I always I think of it a little bit like the Rose Parade. And the reason for that is there's a lot of stuff going on. It's an important event. A lot of people are interested in it. But if you're like me, maybe just my brain, but I've been like this for a long time. Once the rose parade is over, I can't remember a thing about it. You know, there were some floats, there were some colors, but I can't remember actually anything specifically. If you ask me what, you know, to describe any of the floats, I would say, well, there was one with a dog that was jumping up and down, and that's about it. The dog, maybe the dog with the frisbee. The point of we want to make, and the reason we went with this theme of the state of your union is that ultimately the what goes on in your home in your living room in your bedroom in your kitchen around your kitchen table is going to make more of a difference ultimately than all the laws that congress might pass all the programs no program no government agency nothing can affect or impact the culture more than what happens in homes and whether homes are stable or not, or whether th values are being taught or not, no amount of laws or speeches 
or bureaucracies or anything can change a culture or affect it more than what we're going to be talking about. So that's going to be the theme. And the first part is going to be, this segment tonight is, is on kind of this somewhat generic concept of intimacy in marriage, but it's like huge, it's important, it's critical. And there, just to remind you, there's the doggy bag. When you see that signal, just remember. Okay. So the question that went flying by is, what is intimacy in marriage? Hey, hey, there it goes. Thank you. <clears throat> what does it look like? And I, I just want to make a quick point about what is the cult. When you, see, when you hear about intimacy, when that, that word is used, intimate stuff, whatever, you think of this. You think of couples smooching. I like this couple. Uh, they're so intimate, they're going to be dead in about five minutes because they're driving down you know, in Malibu and they're not looking at the road. Okay. So the, the idea we tend to think of in our culture, the cultural thought is this sort of, is physical intimacy. That's the word you think about. And I say that, and the bigger picture that we're going to be talking about is that marital intimacy has way many more dimensions to it. Um, so we're, we're, I'm going to, and by the way, we, the way we do this, we kind of go back and forth. We have a little team teaching that we do. And um, just so you know who we are, other than Chad's parents and and, the, and Ella Zion's and Phoenix's grandparents. Um, Terry is a marriage and family therapist in town here. She's been doing this for, what, 20 years? And uh, with the, um, what has been called the Kairos Counseling Group, now it's called Westlake... Counseling the, Center. Westlake Counseling Center. And she's a marriage and family therapist, and I happen to think she's really good at what she does. Uh, and I'm, I'm just saying, uh, she is. Uh, and I'm a family physician in town, so you might hear me talking about medical stuff. Uh, and I've been doing that since 1978, when who was president? Carter, Carter good. You guys got to get with it. I, I'm really big on identifying We time. got married when Carter was president? We did. Oh. No, when Ford was president, actually. That's how, okay. So uh, let's talk about this. What happens at the beginning of your relationship? Terry. Well, so, you know, Paul was flashing up the, the thing. You think of intimacy. You think of the, you know, Hollywood and what movies show. And intimacy is... Um, something that happens very easily in the very first stages of a relationship. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is that in the beginning, when you meet someone and it's, you know, eyes across the room and it's like, this is the one, and, and you got the ka-ching that happens, and, and you decide you're going to go toward each other and develop that relationship, th this incredible thing happens that we all are looking for all our lives, where, it, where someone looks at us closely and says, oh, Really well done, you know that, and and when someone can look at you, or what they think is you, because you know it's all pretty false in the beginning, um, and say you are marvelous, it is it's the most incredible thing in the world. When you first meet someone, my gosh, we stayed up till four in the morning, you know, our nights one and two, subsequent nights just talking, talking, and talking, and when you feel someone, you ha you meet someone and you feel that it's like. It's like you can never run out of words to say, and you can't, you're so thirsty, you can't learn enough about the other person. And here's what we know about when, when you feel well listened to, like if you've ever been on an airplane trip and you plunk down next to a stranger, and after three hours you're kind of telling each other everything, you know, about yourselves, and the other person is listening really intently as if they actually care about what you think and what you feel. And you know, you want to you know, you want to exchange phone numbers after after you're done because it, for no other reason than you just feel it just you are drawn to someone who looks at you and says, "I am looking at you. I'm seeing you. I'm listening to you. I'm not questioning. 
anything you're saying. I'm, I'm taking what you're saying as your truth. I'm not telling you that what you're feeling is dumb or stupid. That is the headiest experience in the, in the world. And that's why that's, people will have affairs to get that experience when it, when it goes out in a marriage relationship. That's, that trumps everything. That is such a basic human need. Um, and so that, that happens very, very easily when you, when you first meet someone. Um, you, 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 you create this incredibly uh, strong positive reinforcement loop uh, because you're listening to the other person and they're all ears and everything suffers in your friendship and your work and everything else suffers because the other person is the most important thing in the world. Message received. You bring out the best version of each other. Now, it's, it's all based on this period in a relationship where you're not trying to do the dailies and you're not trying to pay bills together or raise screaming children or, you know, having in-law problems, right? So, so it's a very... Um, you know, unrealistic, but, it, but you are seeing the very best version. It's not fake. You are bringing out the very best version of the person at that point in time because you are listening, because that person feels heard, seen, and accepted for who they are right, right then and there. Of course, we're going to talk in a few minutes about, you know, why that falls apart. I don't know if it's in your, in your, um, in your handout or not, but I love Dallas Willard's um, definition of intimacy. He says it's the mutual mingling of souls who are taking into each other, I'm sorry, who are taking each other into themselves to an ever-increasing depth. And of course the problem is that once you do get married and you start doing those dailies, you stop that process. And that's where all the trouble begins. That's where it begins. Presumably most of you got married, you know, because you were attracted to someone, me, you know, eyes across a crowded room, you're the one for me. I thought I was, I thought I'd gonna die, you know, before I could get Paul to the altar. I wanted him, there was no doubt in my mind it was one of those, you know, girl, you know, girl meets boy, fall in love, that's it, that's it. We were talking marriage three weeks after we met. You know, we knew, we just were one of those couples. And, and the, 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 the trouble is most people, most couples, when they get married and have to start doing the dailies and all that stuff, you forget that the person you married is, ch is changing all the time, evolving. So usually what happens is if you're like a, an average situation, you get to know someone very, very, very well. You get to know who they are right at that particular slice in their life. No doubt about it. You're doing the best possible job of knowing them right then and there. Trouble is, a month later, a child later, a 9-11 later, we are always evolving. We are always changing. Our, our, everything is always shifting around in us. And couples forget to keep that process up. It's really almost impossible to keep that process up, right? I mean, when you do it in the beginning, it's, everything else suffers because you do it so well. I mean, that, that for other person is the highest priority. You can't get enough of the other person. And um, it's, it's really difficult to keep that level of, of knowing the other person up when you're just involved in the business of, of running a civilization together. It's, it's very difficult. Now, I know you like to follow the outline, and I have no idea where we are now. <laughs> well, I've been trying to follow you, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'd like to make one point that that, that that process, a lot of people say, well, all that romance about, 
I, be, I, I went through behind you, but the, the, all that excitement in the beginning, is that just a lot of uh, Hallmark card fluff? Is that, you know, uh, Victoria's Secret and, and no substance to it? Because after all, you can't sustain that for years and years and decades in a marriage. But yet it's important. And, it, yeah. it, and Terry will say, if couples that are come into a room and into a marriage who've never had anything like that at all, it's harder to get them if they're in a bad spot. Yeah. You have nothing to go back to. It is. It is. It is an important piece of glue because you, because it's not all. It's not false. You really are seeing. You are bringing out the best possible version of that other person, and that's not false. Um, uh, that person is trusting you in that moment. At the beginning of the relationship, you've got another person who's looking at you and saying, "I think I know everything about you, and you're just perfect." Well, that. That's going to build a lot of trust. If you're looking at me closely and think I'm really perfect, I'm going to relax. I'm going to really, really, really trust you and trust that you're going to operate you know, for my best interest. So that's not all fluff, and it, and it right. is And there's important. a bonding event that, that takes yeah. place. And, and I think that, you know, I say here for perspective on this, consult the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is an extremely... I mean, it's, you know, when you're doing your through the Bible in a year thing and you've been through, you know, you get to that point and it's like, this is so different from so much of literature that you read and it's this rapturous, erotic. Uh, I've, I've heard Tim Keller, who's my, about my favorite teacher, uh, Bible teacher, say that if, they, if you really translate that accurately, it would make most congregations blush. I mean, it's really intense what, what is in that, yeah. that stuff. So... Um, Oh, can I just say one more thing about that, yeah. that um, feedback loop? <clears throat> you know, the, um, we're very responsive as human. Most of us are responsive. The, the more loved you feel, the more cared for you feel, there's this natural inclination, hopefully, you know, um, to serve in response. You know, the minute you, you the flaws start showing up and now you've got to start putting some distance and protecting your turf because you get the idea that the other person, after all, is not 1,000% looking out after your best interests and you start getting a, absorbed in protecting your turf or your rights or whatever, <clears throat> you know, you, you, you back off and there is, you lose that margin of, of the, you lose that motivation for, for serving in response. You kind of start to lose that, that, that uh, feedback loop. Okay, so we want to. Uh, I want to just walk you through some key concepts about relational intimacy to help again build a little depth into this into this concept. Um, and the first one is, and Terry's referenced this, but I just want to I want to drive this home that the desire to be known by somebody else, to have somebody really paying attention, and to pay attention to somebody else, and to not feel like, as Terry said whatever you might have to say is being judged, criticized, felt to be stupid. Uh, that sense of, I'm all ears, I got nowhere to go but to listen to you and to f reflect back to you what I'm hearing and to process it with you, that is something that is so powerful for human beings, it's the way we're built, that it will actually trump other interests in many cases. And we've watched that happen. We, we, we have a few cautionary tales that we have seen. Unfortunately, some of them are from our own members of You're our own wedding party. You're making me extraordinarily nervous here. Okay, move that away. Um, the idea that uh, we can, and we'll bring this one back, but we have a very, very close friend, uh, used to be close friends, but the husband took off, and the husband has 
got somebody else after a 35-year marriage. And the reason was, one reason was, that for many, many years, his wife had put, in this case, the kids in the front seat. We're going to talk about this, the front seat of the relationship. And there was a real disconnect in terms of the, the listening process. And he met somebody who really started to listen to him. And guess where it was? He was on a church committee, building committee. Perfect. And that, See, that's why we shouldn't have this remodeling. Exactly. This remodeling thing, watch Just make sure out. he's not look on the out. committee. Yeah. It's, yeah. Make it all one gender, okay? But that kind of thing began to happen. And here's a guy who's been on church, you know, a deacon, you know, he's been a, a leader. The couple's been, you know, they could recite chapter and verse, and yet this attraction grew, and he got more and more, and as that happened, he got more and more uh, kind of, quote, angry about how his wife had treated him. And one thing led to another, and now he's married to her, and his wife is, and there's been this incredible atomic bomb in this family that's been still playing out for several years afterwards. But this is a guy, if you sat him down, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and, and, and said, would you ever be interested in another woman instead of your wife, he would have said, not, no way, no how. But this is very, very powerful stuff. And we make such, we're really trying to say, and one of the things we're going to drive home is this needs to be built in to your everyday life. So I'm going to, I'm going to show an attempt to do this. We've got a, a film clip, don't start it yet, um, that is from a, a, a movie that has some of the best stuff on marriage in it, even though the rest of it isn't that great. Uh, it's a film called Shall We Dance? It came out about 10 years ago. Um, and I'm going to show you a one-minute clip. It's going to take me longer to set it up, but it's just got a great statement about this. Uh, the, the setup is uh, Richard Gere plays a, an attorney uh, who's been married for 19 years. His wife is played by Susan Sarandon. Basically, they have a very strong marriage, and the, and the strength of this marriage is, 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 the, is, the, is really the point of this movie. And he's even saying, you know, you, he, you know he's got a, he loves his family, he loves his kids. He says they're having a birthday. He says, there's nothing you can give me that comes in a box because I have what, what I want in front of me. But he's still kind of restless and he's not sure what it is. And he's, he, there's something churning and he, he can't quite identify it. And instead of talking to her about it, he gets this on a, on a whim. He decides to take some dance lessons. And he's really enjoying it. And he's really getting into it. And there's, unfortunately, one of the teachers is, you know, Jennifer Lopez. Okay, well, that doesn't... That's a little dicey. Um, and, it, and he comes close. He, he gets into some dangerous, but nothing happens. He doesn't do anything inappropriate, but he's clearly, you know, that's starting to, well, he's out doing this thing and he's making excuses and she's starting to think he's cheating because she's a, she works in a department store. One of her coworkers has just lost her husband to an affair. So kind of reluctantly, she sets out a, a detective to go see what he's doing. And the detective says, all he's doing is dance lessons. That's all he's doing. He's not doing anything. So in this scene, she is now dismissing the detective. They're meeting in a, in a, in a lounge, and she's talking to him about, you know, they're, they're kind of, uh, she's going to say, I don't need you anymore. I don't need you to follow him. I, I get it. I, I'm sorry. To, I mean, I don't know what to make of this, but, and she makes, and up to this point, we were watching this movie, and, and all the stuff about the dance lessons was kind of dumb and like sitcom, and then this, this, this piece of dialogue comes up. So go ahead and run this little clip. All these promises that we make and we break. Why is it, do you think, that people get married? Passion. No. It's interesting, because I would have taken you for a romantic. Why then? Because we need a witness to our lives. There's a billion people on the planet. I mean, what does any one life really mean? But in a marriage, you're promising to care about everything. 
The good things, the bad things, the terrible things, the mundane things, all of it, all the time, every day. You're saying your life will not go unnoticed because I will notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will be your witness. You can quote me on that if you like. Sure, I will. Okay, you hear what she's saying? Your life will not go unnoticed. And frankly, people are going through life and they feel very unnoticed. They feel unwitnessed. Nobody's paying attention. And when somebody pays attention, if it's not your spouse, that's, that intimacy happens. It can happen very, very We have very, a really easily. strong theme on, on um, the, parallel, <clears throat> the parallels of your marriage relationship if you're married and your relationship with God. And it really <clears throat> hooks into this theme of, of, of the sheer horror of being truly alone and unknown and unwitnessed in this, and, and, and God promises to witness, and, and, and your spouse in a healthy relationship is the one who promises to witness. But here's the, <clears throat> here's the problem. Ever since we disconnected ourselves from God, <clears throat> which is not the way the original design was made to be, we have lived with that fear. We disconnected and then we live subsequently in deep fear that we are truly alone. <clears throat> and that makes us very uh, self-centered because when you are very frightened that you may not indeed matter to God or to any other human being, you become incredibly self-absorbed. You become very much looking out for your, your own interests, <clears throat> very self-directed. And, and marriage is this incredible relationship where uh, it... it and, uh, you know, also when you have, have children, it's like the, it's the only human relationship where, where you, you get kind of pulled out of that self-absorption, that, that, that need to protect, you know, to protect your, your, own, um, your, own, your own turf. But we really are self-centered. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's sort of what the whole gig about the fall is that we, are, we will not submit, we will not trust, we will not say, I trust that you're going to do this for me better than I can do it for myself. I mean, we're always looking out for ourselves. So it is a, it is the, the relational intimacy in a marriage is a terrific battle about trust, just like it is in your, in your relationship with God. It's the same mechanism. It's the, it's the continual battle. Will I trust this other person or not? Do I trust you? Do I trust you to operate out of my best interest, our best interest, or do I fear that you're going to just protect your own turf and be another human being. <clears throat> when you're well-loved at the beginning of that relationship, there's no question you feel that the other person is absolutely operating out of your best interests. But when things start happening, you get your feelings hurt, you're misunderstood, miscommunication, you start, that's where, you know, it pulls back. And, and the, the, the marriage is always, 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 in a constant uh, motion of either moving toward more trust or moving away. There's no such thing as getting to know someone at the beginning of a relationship and then just having that fixed. And then you go off your merry way for the next 50 years. There's just no such thing. The fire is either being stoked or it is dying down. Why? Because, it is the, because it's the nature of humanity. It's the nature of human beings to not extend that trust. It is our nature to act selfishly. It is our nature, unfortunately, to act in our own best interest. So to create this thing that we, we are, you know, have spent years talking about in marriage, 
to create this is an extremely intentional discipline. We happen to believe that the payoff is, is worth it, but it is not something that happens accidentally. If you don't pay attention to this, if you don't make a plan, a pact with each other to do this, it will die down. And that's why the divorce rate is so high, because people do not intentionally make, ha have any kind of understanding of how intimacy is created day after day after day on a continuing basis. It, it's, a, it's a discipline. One of the, the images, and it's the second of these four points, and Terry's already referenced it, if I can get the thing to come back, about intimacy is always in flux. You as you say, it never just planes out at one level and stays there. It's always, basically, you can think of your relationship and your intimacy in this relationship. It's either, it's always moving somewhere. It's getting warmer or it's getting colder, as she was saying. And uh, even in the best marriages, I mean... Yeah, it's not, that's know, not a good marriage or bad marriage. I mean, that's just, that's just good, the way it is. you can have a good, strong marriage, but, you know, if you haven't connected in one or two weeks, really, in a significant way... So I use know. these little analogies of the door is... Is the door opening or is the door closing? And there are conversations that open doors and there are conversations that close them. And, in fact, uh, this is like... This is a marriage that's kind of gotten bad, okay? <laughs> Just think of that. Terry gave the, ana the analogy of the fire. The fire's, you're, you're, you're building the fire up or it's, or it's dying down. I like this one. This is, um, you're building, your marriage is like a, it's like, a, like a home. It's like a structure. It's got a lot of rooms in it. It's got a lot of decorations. It's got a foundation. It's got walls. It's got all these things. And you're building it. You're building it up or you're tearing it down. And people sometimes get really careless about what kind of stuff they're throwing around in, you know, you would never you know, throw a brick through your window, but people will literally do that in, in, the, in a conversation with their spouse. Or they get to this point where, you know, it's too far gone. Uh, you know, this is a house that's, you know, yeah. hasn't, yeah. Or I like this. Here's, you know, this is, the, this is your greeting card. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're face to face. And then we've maybe, we, the wedding day didn't go quite so well. Which this thing would respond to my finger. Oh, I love this. There we go. Here we go. See, this is a, you know, this is a little too much high tech uh, going on. Um, and then we move on. I don't think that couple waited until their wedding night. Yeah, I know. I'm afraid so. That's probably true. This couple uh, at opposite ends, and then we have this one, which is on its own. The other one that Terry referenced, referenced is that generally, and you've kind of been hearing this now in different ways, but because of the stuff of life, because of our nature, because of our selfishness, because of things we have to do because just life goes on. Uh, real, this relational intimacy tends to be like an entropy. Entropy meaning it tends to wind down. The concept of entropy is, is things tend to get less organized. It's a, it's a physics law. It's a law of, you know, things tend to, if you unattended, they get more disorganized, they get more run down, and the same with relationship. Very, very important. And then Terry mentioned about the, uh, the marriage as a, reflection of our relationship with God. Really important concept in intimacy because the same things that build intimacy in the marriage build intimacy with God. You think about it. Uh, time, attentiveness, being quiet, listening, not just talking all the time. There's a lot of, and, and as, as she pointed out, marriage is a setting in which you can grow tremendously spiritually or not or, or have things torn down. So uh, one suggested one book we want one of several books we're going to put up here as a suggested reading is this one highly 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 recommended a book called sacred marriage by gary thomas 
Any of you, any, any of you familiar with this book? You got a couple of, okay. So th- I saw this book for the first time at a, we were at a um, conference put on by Family Life today, and they put on a great weekend conference. Weekend to remember, they call it. It's worth, I don't care what state your marriage is in. And the, the speakers were kept hitting on this book. And I look at, it, and I look at this book and I'm going, Sacred Marriage. Yeah, this looks great. There's a, there's a, there's a, bunch of pears on the cover. That really gets me going. I'm, you know, and I love this. What if God designed marriage to make us holy rather than to make us happy? Ah, I don't want to hear that. Oh, man. I, uh, not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even look at that book for years. So just, they said it yeah. so forcefully. We did buy it, and we started to read it. And this is a very smart guy. This is a smart writer, a smart book. And it's probably, the, I think, the best thing out, th- out there on how marriage and your relationship with God are, are linked. What will happen in each of those relationships and how they connect with each other. So, um, all right. So moving on to the next segment here, which is we want to kind of, we're going to talk about basically two really key ingredients for intimacy in marriage. And and they're they're kind of broad, so bear with us. These are all in your outlines also. But just uh, the, the quick preview is, and again, Terry has mentioned this, one is trust. If you think about you think about the level of intimacy you feel with somebody you don't trust. Anybody ever had a experience with somebody who kind of you could just tell was untrustworthy and you tell me how much you felt close to that person? It ain't going to happen. And and in a marriage there are a lot of things that build trust and a lot of things that 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 don't. So we're going to talk about some of those things in a minute, but the second component which we're going to come back to a little bit later is this one of knowing and being known, of hearing and being heard, this thing that we've talked about that couples, that people want so much. So uh, I think this is your segment, yeah, let this me, one. Yeah, let me just talk about, you know, trust. You know, trust basically just means I can exhale when I'm around you. I, be- I feel safe with you. I don't have to second-guess your motivations. You're, you know, it, your deal with me is very, very clear and, and straightforward, and I know that you are, you have me as your, as a, your highest priority, and that you are not going to do anything knowingly to harm me, that you are operating in my best. It produces a, a tremendous, you know, ability to, to relax. And we were trying to think of, well, okay, so what are, what are things that, that, that build trust? Like you take two married people, well, okay, what, what goes into creating a, a trusting relationship? And, you know, one is, is, you know, the spiritual health we've been talking a lot about. If, you know, it, this sounds, well, I'll just talk about us personally. If, if, I, if Paul is, if I see him having a consistent, like, quiet time in the morning, not that there's anything like, you know, mystical or, you know, that you have a, a specific ritual. It could be anything, but when I see him consistently um, struggling with, to, to talk with God about things and, and to put his life through a grid that uh, is a- always asking, you know, what would God have me do? Seeking God. That creates trust in me because I figure, okay, if he's, if he's always putting his life stuff through trying to align with God, that, that, makes me, uh, that makes him a safer bet in my eyes about where he might go or how he's going to be operating today. It, it, it 
it makes me feel good about the, the, what he's using as, as his building material for today, what, what input is going in, because he's, he is seeking out um, something that is a, a deeply shared value for us. And it, 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 it makes me very relaxed, because I know that that's going to, um, I know that that's going to serve the, our relationship well. Um, and, you know, and just on a practical note, if, if, he's, if he is seeking God, <clears throat> to use a shorthand phrase, trying to align himself with God, <clears throat> that is going to, frankly, make him a more pleasant person to be around. I mean, that's just kind of on a selfish, practical note, but he's not going to be as glitchy. If, if he's having a regular time of really thinking through, you know, what does God want? How does God fit in? You know, just struggling with those questions, he's going to be a, a stronger and nicer person to live with. Um, Second is the character, and this is not something, you know, that's just on a daily or weekly basis. This is, you know, this is one that we struggled with trying to figure out where to, where to put this in. I'm not sure if this is exactly the right place or the right list, but <clears throat> it is really, really hard to relax and trust your spouse if your spouse, bottom line, basically, is lacking in, in good character. You know, if he or she is a consistent pathological liar, if he or she hides things, um, uh, if he or she believes that it's okay to lie on your income tax. I mean, there's some, there's some basic, you know, character flaws that are going to make the other person always have to put up their guard and fear. You know, if, if you believe it's really okay to, to you know, go to a strip joints. It, it's going to make it really difficult for your spouse to, to be able to trust and, you know, relax. Um, well, I already kind of said the next one, truthfulness and transparency. Um, straightforward talking, communication is, is the most powerful component in, in a relationship. If you know how to, if you know how to talk in a straightforward way and really hear the other person without belittling them or telling them they're wrong, then you essentially are set up for dealing with anything. You, you know, but that it, which leads into the next one, uh, healthy communication. And, you know, there's so many different types of communication. I mean, most, most couples are lucky if they've got the first one down, which is just doing the dailies. You know, can, do we have any kind of system? And some couples don't even have a system for, like, who's going to pick up Susie at 3 o'clock or who's going to do the dry cleaning. I mean, sometimes the, the communication is so chaotic, they don't even have that most basic form. But, you know, in a, in a decent married couple, they'll have that form of communication, the dailies, it's just the running of the, you know, the business end of the civilization. Um, but there's, you know, there, is a, there's a, there are deeper kinds of communication like dealing with issues. Like how many, I mean, not many couples I know, especially the ones that, you know, end up in my counseling office, have disciplined themselves to set up a regular time in their schedule for recognizing that, they, that there are issues that maybe have been there for a long time or it's growing, you know, you, you, like... Your, your mom is, is ailing and you're spending a lot more time with her and that's bothering me and, and so it's just been starting to really build up in the last six months and it's becoming this kind of wedge. It's an issue. You can't do that in five minutes. You can't do that in, when you're tired or reacting to the latest call from mom that you're going to run off and, and disrupt our plans for, you know. So, that, that, you know, that, the, the, 
uh, scheduling times for really sitting down and saying, okay, we need to make a pot of coffee, uh, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a glass of wine, depending on you know, <laughs> how bad it is, but you know, um, you know, we need to set aside time and we really need to, 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 to look at this. And that, in, that does involve time, and most people don't ever do that. Most people blurt out their feelings about something in the height of, of uh, anger or when something has just happened that sets it off and reminds you about how angry you are, upset you are about an issue. And then the, th the third type of communication is that knowing and being known. Because there's one, there's one type of meeting where it's like, okay, you and I are going to sit down and we're going to talk about the problems that my mom is creating in our marriage. That's an issue, a problem we need, to, we need to talk about. But there's another even deeper level, which is, you know, if you've heard us, teach at all anywhere in the past you've you've heard us talk about and that is this knowing and being known it's what we've been talking about tonight where it's the kind where you sit down and ask the other person how are you no really how are you what are you thinking about right now what was the happiest time for you this week what was the worst time and there's a there's a list of questions at the end I we'll, see we'll some of you jotting down end. I mean we've actually got that at the end but you know, it's a time where you just sit, and, and the golden question um, is, what are you most worried about? You want to find out where your spouse is right now? See if you can get them to honestly talk about what they're most worried about. Well, if Paul asks me what I'm most worried about, and we've got three minutes, and stuff is happening, I'm not likely to search my soul. But if it's a designated time, and we usually do it over dinner, and we know we're going to ask each other those questions, then there's some pretty cool stuff that can happen. I get, to, I get to maybe verbalize stuff that I didn't even really know was percolating down there yet. You know, it's a, uh, he gets to be the first one to kind of get that run by uh, instead of some other person that's going to listen well to me. Um, so that, that, that is how, you know, you keep up with someone, is it's a deliberate, scheduled, intentional time, whether it's once a week, once a month, you know, it, it's really where you're looking someone in the eye and saying, I got nowhere to go, and I'm not, I really am serious. I love you. I want to know where you are. I want to know where you are this month, this week. And I've, you know, phones are off. I'm all ears. And I'm not going to tell you how to fix it, and I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong or try to shame you for what you're feeling. It's just like, I'm, I'm all ears. Um, managing conflict well. You know, if, if we, that's, a, that's a double class all, all yeah. by itself, right? How to manage conflict, and we don't have that time tonight. Um, but needless to say, if every time something comes up, you, it ends in an, in an argument and an unresolved time, uh, uh, state between the two of you, um, that is going to be the opposite of building trust. If if everything ends in an argument, you will just keep building building those walls. All right. And I think you're next. I'm, on, I'm up next. The, that discussion of that conversation that Terry was just talking about, we're going we're going to come back to that at the end because that's one of the big doggy bags for tonight is is setting that up, making sure that's happening. And I will, I'll say it one more time because I, 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 I can't help repeating this because I see this happen. Um, especially in a, in a church setting where, where people are committed to 
Christ and the, the Bible and they know what they believe, they're not, most of the time, um, breaches in a marriage, affairs in a marriage, do not take place because somebody says, ooh, that's a hot-looking chick I'd like to get with. That's uncommon. What's more common, way more common, is a, con- a series of conversations start totally innocently with someone of the opposite sex. It might even be that attractive person. It's just this, but there is this thing that takes place. This person is listening, and again, it could be at the church committee, it could be at work, it could be some other place, uh, and there is a, there's, there's just some sharing and some feelings, and, and, that, and, and the other person's not judging, and there's not a lot of other baggage, and people feel closer, and it's a, it's a, it's a very gradual process, and, and it's, that is intimacy. And we constantly warn couples, beware of who is getting that download. Who is hearing that from you? Who is hearing those feelings? Who is it? Be careful. It should be, you know, if you, if you can't have that conversation with your spouse, then have it with a trusted friend of the same gender who will give you good advice. So, Can I give a, an example of that? Yeah. Many, many years ago, we were <clears throat> at a dinner, um, and I was sitting here, and Paul was sitting here, and then there was this other guy that yeah. I didn't know from Adam, and then his wife was on the other side of him, and, you know, we just made our orders waiting for you know, food to come. It was some committee or something. and that You we want to know what it was? No. <laughs> <coughs> it had to do with church, though. It had to do with this church. <clears throat> Gosh. Nobody here is so, part um, of that discussion. So I, I didn't... <laughs> no, it was, it, was, it was fine. It's cool. It's many years ago. Many years, years ago. <laughs> so I, I didn't know this guy at all. And, and I'm just making small talk. And I just, you know, I just say, so what do you do? You know, and blah, blah, blah. We're waiting for our food to come. Well, he's got some esoteric job that involves a lot of numbers yeah <laughs> my least favorite thing but I'm just employing just good listening skills I'm just being a good neighbor and just listening and just asking questions you know and then so what do you do with that and then what happens and who sees to that and and you know do you enjoy your job and what you know what is you know gee what what are you most proud of you know just the obvious chit chat you know kind of questions so <clears throat> we're about 15 minutes into this because the guy's just like lighting up like a Christmas tree. He's like, he is really getting into it. And I'm like, oh gosh, you know, <laughs> I'm so bored by this conversation. I don't even know what he's talking about. Just, you know. <clears throat> so about 15 minutes into it, his wife kind of leans over and kind of like just sort of finally, after 15 minutes, hello, noticing that you know his her husband's been engaged in a in a pretty tight conversation. So she leans over and she's like, oh. You know, and she says, well, my, you've gotten more out of him about what he does, you know, in 15 minutes than I have in the last five years. And I'm like, oh, Uh-oh. okay. Oops. Walk away from the husband. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. back out carefully. It was nothing, and you know, it was a completely innocent conversation. The yeah. point was, he wasn't looking for, I'm sure this guy is a man of great character. He yeah. was not hitting on my wife. There's no way. I was sitting right there. I would have ducked him. No, no. just kidding. He wouldn't have done that. No, but the point was. But the point was that. This, just this process, this simple thing, these simple questions, drawing him out, lit him up. Yeah. And it wasn't happening at home. Yeah. And if Terry had been somebody with less, you know, noble motives or whatever, or character, that could have been, you know. That could have been the start. Probably not for this yeah. guy, yeah. I don't think. But, but that's, how, that's it, how it happens. That's how it happens. Just a simple, what do you do? Tell me more. Tell me more. That's so interesting. Yeah. You know. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to, I'm going to, this, this segment, this is the, the, this thing, this 
uh, talking about trust, demonstrating that the marriage is the priority relationship. I'm going. To, we're going to have a, a sort of a digression here for a couple minutes because I feel very, very strongly about this, and I want to talk about kind of first things first. It's it's called the priority of relationships. Let's see and here's the question: When you talk to somebody and you say, "Hey," um, what are the most important things? We say, when we say, if you get a group of guys, and in church, I'm going to say church, what are, your, what are your most important priorities? Let's name them. What is, what is the first one that they always say? God. God. See, I'm a genius. God. Then what do they say? Family. My spouse. And then my kids. And then my vocation. And then stuff is down there, and then recreation at the bottom. That's what we all say, because that's the, that's the legitimate, correct answer that we're supposed to say. And my question is, well, what actually are they? What are those things on a functional basis? And here is, and I'm sorry, just beware, I'm just sorry to be doing this. The question is, before we talk about husbands and wives, we just gotta, we just gotta clarify one thing. What is your most important relationship? And I'm going to just quote a few scriptures that bear that out. I'm the Lord your God, brought you out. You shall have no other gods before me. This is a big deal to God in both Testaments. God really does not seem to like idols. We have this passage. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. This is one of the most challenging ideas of life. All my soul, all my heart, all my, all, everything about me. How about this one? Uh, now we have Jesus talking. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. We've all heard this, we've read it, we've seen it, we've heard sermons about it. However, let's just talk about that one more. If I could just get this to go one more. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Obviously, God is not saying, hate your wife, hate your kids. But in relationship the priority relationship with him compared to those other relationships is going to seem almost to be that, that different. So what about this? Um, what I want to just kind of scroll through some things if I can get my little finger to scroll, and I'm sorry about this. Yeah, what's an idol? We think of idols as stuff like this, right? Little tiki gods, uh, things like this in, in India, uh, golden calves, um, Let's talk about, you know, uh, the things you've read about in the Old Testament, all this kind of stuff. These are things that, you know, well, yeah, these primitive people, you know, they, get, they do that kind of stuff. We don't do that stuff. We don't do anything like that. Uh, here's the, some of the Greek uh, uh, and uh, Roman uh, deities. They were idols. We have political idols. We have, we, we've seen country, entire countries and nations go off the rails because they made an idol out of a particularly nasty human being. Uh, here's another one. Or... Culturally, we have this type of thing. We think of this, uh, this type of idol. This is a teen, you know, a teen idol. Here are 
Uh, here are uh, young women 50 years ago. The Beatles showed up uh, in our country, and this is what happened. Um, we, have, uh, we look at things like uh, movie stars. Oops, there we go. We have Marilyn Monroe. We have this. We have uh, our American Idol. Uh, we have, uh, and, so on, and so it goes. The sexiest man alive. We have the sexiest woman alive. We've got uh, uh, the almighty uh, dollar. We think of you know, money, sex, power. These are all things that people think of as idols. And I would like to propose three important concepts about this priority relationship. What, what is an idol really? And I would say this. It is something, first of all, three important concepts. Anything can be an idol. And for those of us who are good people in churches, sometimes the things that become idols are not what we think of. They're not, they're not the obvious, you know, we're not bowing down to golden calves and we're not, you know, crazy about, you know, hoo-ha-ha, I want to be the king of the universe and that sort of thing. We get into other issues. Anything can be an idol. I'm going to go to this one. Everything has been an idol. And the human heart is an idol factory. We make up idols all the time. And why is that? Well, here's the deal. Idols are good things that are turned into ultimate things. The idol is anything for which you say, if I cannot have this, I cannot receive life joyfully. So it's whatever you base hope, significance, security. The functional God. It, whenever you hear somebody say, you know, if I can't have, name it, I, you know, I don't know what I'll do with myself. If this marriage falls apart, I don't know what I'll do. If I lose this kid, I don't know what I'm going to do. If I can't get this job, I know what I'm going to do. If I can't have this relationship, if I can't have this thing, sometimes it's, you know, it could be a thing. Often it's more a, a bigger thing. If I can't have a disapproval from somebody else, life's not worth living. And so these are all, and, and these um, I, have a, I have a friend um, who has undergone some terrible losses. He was a Presbyterian pastor for a long time. Uh, he was a classmate of mine in school. He, um, unfortunately, has bipolar disorder. And he began to manifest it into his marriage, and it got worse and worse and worse. And for a variety of reasons, his wife divorced him. And then because of his, the behavior that he had when he was manic, they, he was relieved of his duty. And... And, uh, you know, his, his, his role in the church. And, and this guy had no grid. He had, his life was, like, completely off the, off the rails. And then he had another meltdown about three years ago, a really bad one. He was in Europe on a trip, and he completely went off out of his mind. He, was by, he, he had a manic episode where he actually literally believed that he was the fourth member of the Trinity, okay, of the Godhead. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a Trinity, it was, a, qua it was a, Trinity, a quadrinity, I guess, I guess you would say. It. And he was, you know, it was, it was, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Skip, okay? And when he came back from that trip, and it was, I was on the phone with him trying to figure out how, I was first of all trying to figure out how to get this guy safely on a transatlantic flight from Europe back to Seattle where he lived without bringing the plane down someplace if he, if he went because sometimes these folks get a little jumpy on airplanes. But he got home, and he had a terrible reentry, and he, it was an awful situation. And his sons 
and his daughter-in-law were there, and it was when, they, when he arrived, and he was just, you know, he was a wreck, and he was, he was crazy. And the daughter-in-law said, that's it. You're not seeing these grandchildren of yours. You got two grandchildren. They're out of here. And that was October of 2010, and he has not yet seen those grandchildren. Three years later. And he's worked hard. He's gone to therapy. He's gotten his medicines. He's created a whole support system to keep him in line. He's got people that if they detect anything, I'm one of them. If he starts to sound a little hyper, I, I get on the phone and we deal with it. And he has worked really, really, really hard. But he still cannot see his grandchildren. And I, as a grandparent, I thought, that is really a terrible thing. And if I were told today that I couldn't see my grandchildren anymore, I would, it would be a, a grievous blow. I mean, it would be like having a leg chopped off. It would be a big wound. I'd, I, would have, I would carry that wound for a long, long time. I'm not going to say it. But he was like, it was sort of like, well, my life's not worth living. And we really had to say, we really had to sit down and have this talk. I said, well, so what are you saying? I, I know, and I was trying to not be harsh with them, but I said, look, those kids, you know, if you say, I can't, if I can't have this relationship with these kids, I can't live. Well, then, functionally, those kids are God. Because they, they're defining your contentment. They're defining your, func your functional saviors. Your functional life is based on that. So... This is a big deal. If you, anything for which you say, if I can't have this, I can't live, of course you grieve these losses. Of course they're hurt. Of course they hurt. I'm not going to say they don't hurt. Grief, grief is a real thing. Uh, one more thing about idols. If I can get this to go. You can lose a good thing and re but replace it. Experience sorrow and consolation, but an ultimate thing cannot be replaced, and when lost, it leads to despair. So, very important concepts about this. And I want to just, you know, set this straight because we're talking about priorities in relationship. Because this one, if this one isn't in place, you can make an idol out of your marriage. And that's not going to work. That is not, so it's very, very important to have this straight. Clues to identifying idols. What do you daydream about? Um... There's a quote, this is, this is I, I'm, I'm borrowing this from Tim Keller. Okay, I didn't think of this. Okay, I'm sorry, but this is such an important thing. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. Secondly, how do, where do you spend your money? And thirdly, look at your uncontrollable emotions. This is really important. What keeps you awake at night? What causes a, an outbreak of anger? Um, it's often uh, emotions out of control are clues to something being in that state. And I will highly recommend to you this book by Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods. It, uh-oh, oh, there we go. Um, because this I has, I felt, spoken more truth into the lives of myself and other people than I can remember. So, that being said, now, we want to go to first thing second. What is your most important human relationship? And very, very importantly, the Bible makes this, I think, abundantly clear. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The word hold fast is cleave. We, see, we talk about leave and cleave. And it literally means to be glued. Glued in a way like paper is glued and where if you pull it apart, there will be damage done. It's not like Velcro that you can just pull apart and everything is fine. Uh, if you're cleaved to something, when you pull that thing apart, there's tr there is damage. Another passage. Um, and this is early in Genesis. This is Genesis 2. And the idea that, that this is 
important enough to God to mention not only here, Jesus repeats it. Same passage. And just to make it abundantly clear that God thinks this is important, it becomes the centerpiece of Ephesians 5, which is one of the more you know, powerful, obviously a, a very important, powerful passage about marriage in the scriptures. And he quotes the same thing. And, he says this, he, and Paul says, this is really profound. It, it, it refers to Christ and the church. And so, that being the case, we need to note something. Children are really important in God's economy. They really, really are. But they're not mentioned in this passage. There's no mention of kids. In fact, they're talking about, you're talking about something that is not intuitive at all, which is pulling away from your father and mother and setting up this whole new relationship, this new society, this new culture, this new civilization with your wife. And God says, yeah, you have to do that. Because if you don't do that, that, this is why I'm telling you, you have to do this. And there's nothing, no mention of kids. Well, why is that? Well, because some families don't have them. The primary glue is between the husband and wife, not the parent and the child. Secondly, while a lot of growth comes because of the sacrifice and service that has to come from raising kids, it's not the same. The dynamics are different. It's a child. You have a different relationship. And that dynamic of service and sacrifice with another adult is very, very different. Very, very, very important. And, so fin- and then finally, this one. I'm sorry with the, my remote clicker is having to think a little too hard. There. The relationship between husband and wife is intended to be, a, this is a horizontal and a vertical com- component. In other words, it, there's a covenant, a, a, and, I, and again, we could do a whole talk on this. The commitment between a husband and wife is not just between the husband and wife, it is between us and God. And God has some strong opinions about that covenant relationship, uh, I think best expressed in this um, uh, passage in Malachi. I love this. You fled the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings and accepts them with pleasure. And you ask, why? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And there are passages that say, you know, if this relationship is doing well, if you're, un- if you're not being faithful here, God is not pleased with this. So, doggy bag time. This is my doggy bag, right? No, this is my doggy bag. So my doggy bag is... No, this is... Actually, you know what? This is your doggy bag. Let me give you Terry's doggy bag. I remember uh, Dallas Willard once in a a talk. uh, He was doing Q&A, and someone asked uh, the question, you know, who's going to be allowed into heaven? Who gets to go to heaven? And in typical Dallas Willard style, he, he... quips right back. He says, anybody who can stand it. And that is always really, that answer has always really affected me. He's kind of riffing off of C.S. Lewis there, some of his concepts. And the simple fact of the matter is, a lot of people won't be able to stand it. And why is that? Because you're, you're with someone that knows you. And for many people, that's not going to work. That they don't want to be that well known. And the same thing works in marriage. And this is sort of, to me, one of the most important things, you know, that I'm saying tonight. In, in a marriage, you have a unique opportunity for personal growth that you will not have in any other human relationship. Um, 
Because when, it, when, this, when this covenant is set up in the correct way, when you've got two people who are, who are treating each other fairly and listening well, you're living in a 24-7, uh, you're, I'm seeing you in a, you know, I'm seeing myself in the mirror kind of a situation where you cannot hide. You cannot hide. And what I find in my counseling office is that a lot of people don't want this kind of, the whole intimacy that we're talking about, they don't want it. There are people who are married who, who don't want that. They don't want to confront their, their warts. They don't want to confront the, the darker dimensions of who they are. They want to keep kind of all that intact. They're too afraid. They don't want to change it. And um, uh, I've seen a lot of people extend the invitation to their spouse, please, let's go deeper. And the answer is, I'm really okay the way we are. And, it, that's, and that's why we say there's so many parallels. If, you're, if you are a Christian and you're married, it's like they really, you're, you're, there's so many parallels to that because we do the same thing in our relationship with God. We're like, you know what, I, I like just the kind of going to church on Sunday morning and uh, that's good enough because um, I can take it for one hour a week. I can do that. I can kind of go and sing and I feel kind of good. Mm. I'm okay with that and then call myself a Christian. And you do the same thing in marriage, where you go, you know, yeah, we have a couple of kids, and, you know, we're not losing our house, and, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I like it. We've, we've, we kind of lead our little parallel lives. We get along. We run the civilization okay. We're good business partners. And, uh, frankly, I just want to keep my, my other stuff over here. I don't want to work on it. I don't want to. I don't want to be known, frankly, that deeply. And... Um, you know, I, I've all, always maintained that I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have found my way back to God with, it, for me, and I'm not obviously saying everyone has to get married to find God, but for me, in my path, me being able to return into a deep, intimate relationship with God was through my marriage. It was because I lived with someone who saw me in all of my failings and all the underbelly, ugly stuff and said, I'm not going anywhere. And, and that, is, that is powerful. And I would just, I always am struggling with people. Don't, don't, don't shy away from that. But of course, most people do. It's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying to confront who you really are. It's terrifying. But man, what, a, what an opportunity for confronting that and be really becoming that, the kind of person you, you say you want to become. This is a great opportunity to do that because it's so constant. <laughs> it's so relentless. It's so accountable, you know, to be living with someone who who knows you and sees you every day. When do the, uh, how do we demonstrate? I mean, just, let's just do those two. Yeah, oh, yeah. Or, two. You know, how do you, how do you, you know, demonstrate that the marriage is the priority relationship? You know, one is the attention, the, the, you know, I'm all, the, what we've been talking about. Um, I can't tell you how many couples I talked to where, uh, you know, one person wants to talk and they never can get a time to talk. The other person just puts them off and puts them off and puts them off. There's just, there's never a good time to talk, which basically says, 
you know, whatever it is you have to say, really, I've just got more important things. I really don't, I don't, I don't think what you have to say is important. And so I'm not going to make time to listen to, to what you're concerned about. Um, access, how hard it is to have. I have people, you know, I, I called Paul once early, earlier in our, in our marriage, and he's sounding kind of muffled, and I'm, um, you know, I was asking about some in, you know, mundane thing, and he was kind of acting kind of strange on the phone, and I, and I finally said, honey, what, um, I can't, I can hardly hear you. And he went, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing a vasectomy here, and I got the nurse, you know, holding the, the phone up to my ear, and I was like, why'd you, why'd you answer the phone? He said, because it was you. Wow, I, I've never forgotten that. That was like, now that was a stupid thing for him to do. Now the patient didn't forget uh, that either. Yeah, that was a dumb thing for him to do. I, not very professional of him, but I will tell you that He was a friend I, of ours, okay. Yeah, but I have never forgotten that moment. I've never forgotten that moment because there are spouses that can't get a call back. They can't get their spouses to answer the phone. Now. There are also spouses that abuse that privilege, right? You're calling every five minutes for a hangnail. I get that. But, but that was, even though that was a silly, kind of unprofessional thing for him to do, I've never hey. forgotten it. Sorry. But it made for great illustration. It did. It did. I, but, but that, wow. I mean, that spoke to me. And I have never, I've never forgotten it. And that was a... <laughs> um, you know, how do you speak to one another? Someone... We've been t doing some teaching over at Calvary, and, and someone came up to me after we taught and said, God, you guys just talk so nicely to each other. And it really caught me off guard. And I was like, well, what, what, what's why, the other way? Why, what is it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's the alternative? And what's the alternative? It's like, you know, if you were given one car and told that that was going to be the car you were going to have for the rest of your life, how would you treat it? I, you know, it doesn't make. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't profit anything, you know, for us to, to be rude. Because a lot of people, you get into marriage and you think, well, I don't want to have to say please and thank you. And, you know, why should I do that? You know, you're supposed to just be there for me. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to put on airs and, and be all la-di-da. Yeah, you should. That's like, the, that's the one place you should be doing it more than any, any place else. Um, because, you know, you want to treat the other person I don't know. That just seems to make sense to me, and yet, of course, I see the opposite all too often. Um, generosity, uh, time, gifts, flowers, uh, sexuality, uh, random acts of kindness. I know we're running short on time, so I am going to let you okay. take it over. Well, here. I'm going to just yeah. I want to I want to make sure we we have our final thing. I want to just get into one more thing that's my doggy bag, which is what are the competitors. And maybe you're, you probably already, now you're getting the point. So here's the thing, and, and the last point on this priority position, because, and, and why are we striving this? Because a, lot of, because a lot of marriages fall apart on this one. Uh, they fall to the competitors. And it can be the in-laws or the family of origin, the leave and cleave issues. If there is a sense that you haven't really left your family and... Um, that mom and dad have more authority in your life and more sway and more influence on your emotions and what you do than your spouse does, this is going to create trouble. Trust me. It really does. It is, and it's not intuitive for a lot of couples to say, look, 
we, we, we come to the altar, we create this new civilization, and everybody has to back off. Now we're going to go and we're going to spend time, you know, we try to tell newlyweds, get away from everybody as much as you can, reasonably, for uh, the first year. And get to know each other. You've got to find out all this stuff because you came from different civilizations. And, and, th- and we're not talking necessarily different races or different ethnic cultures, although that can get interesting too, but just people that seemingly came from the same background, but every family has a different way of doing things. How do we do holidays? How do we, who does the dishes? Who changes the diapers? Who cleans up? Who does the, the money? All these things have to be figured out for your particular civilization. If you don't do that, you're always going to be, one will tend to say, well, my, this is how I, we did in our family, and that's the right way. And that creates all kinds of issues. Um, and these relationships can be complicated. Another one uh, that is a big one is kids. Again, we talked about this. Are the kids... Are they beloved guests in your home or are they, drive, or are they in the driver's seat or the front seat? And, and the dynamic of this changes throughout your kids. In the newborn period, there's a problem that often happens because obviously newborn, everybody's you know, huddled around and especially the mom is particularly involved if she's nursing. Uh, her, she can feel, you know, the husband can feel like, I'm, I'm not needed here. I'm, I, have no, I have little use. Uh, during the toddler years, the primary parent, the stay-at-home parent, uh, is actually both of them, are just exhausted because toddlers just wear you out. Um, school years tend to be overcommitted, too many activities, and so it goes. The adolescent and young adult years. The point is, we have seen couples who are so invested in their kids and how the kids are going to turn out and worrying about them and are they going to make it and then what about their schoolwork and all this kind of stuff that the, the spouse... Is, and, even this, and, and they can even be doing this together, but they're not talking to each other. And they're not building that relationship. And so the kids leave the house. When they finally, if, if the last one leaves, if they ever do, uh, which they may not, you know, in this age. Um, but that's a different that's a different, talk. That's a different talk. Uh, they leave, and mom and dad are like, who are you? Who is this person? Who's just sleeping in my bed? I don't know you. And, and it is so, so critical to maintain that priority position when the kids are growing up. Uh, another one is uh, job, career, education. Obviously, how much is being you know uh, put on that altar? How much the decision to do X, Y, Z, get another degree, uh, or, or get a promotion, or leave town? How does that affect the family? Other friendships. Um, and again, we've 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 kind of mentioned the fact that who you share that that who gets that emotional stuff from you, you know, be careful. Be careful who you share that with. The concept of hedges is one. Uh, there's a, there's a book by Jerry Jenkins. Uh, before he wrote the whole Left Behind series and became a gazillionaire uh, with the greatest, uh, you know, uh, wave catch of all author, Christian authors' time, and I'm not jealous because, you know, or anything, but I'm just saying there's nobody's ever written a book that, that doesn't envy that guy. I mean, really. I mean, they have, you know, that was supposed to be one book, and then it was going to be three books, and then it turned into, like, 12 books and a whole empire and no author you know every author dreams of having catching the way well he anyway Jenkins is a very good guy he is a smart guy he is a he is a solid guy he wrote this book called Hedges about protecting putting the barriers around your your marriage to protect it I highly recommend that book um just a a final couple of items on this list because I want to get to this end part here overcommitment (laughs) Lack of margin, going 100 miles an hour, no time to talk. When your schedule is wall-to-wall and you're going 100 miles an hour, what are the things that tend to get left out? Your quiet time, your exercise, time to create good meals, 
Um, I've, I've had conversations with patients in my office. I said, um, here's what you need to do. I need you to get a half an hour of exercise a day. I need you to get eight hours of sleep a night. I need you to have a half hour of quiet time every day. I need you to have another half hour a day where you're sitting and talking to your spouse. Um, and they look at me like, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. I don't have time for that. Eight hours of sleep? Who can do that? That's what you do on a weekend you know, at a resort. Um, but if you don't do that, if you have no time, you're not going to have time to do these explorations of the other person and the other person's soul and heart. Uh, recreation and hobbies, you know, do, you, do you find your, do you exhale, do you feel better in different ways? And then ministry. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ministry, wait, that can be a competitor? You bet. You bet. Terry and I are on the, uh, we, we're on the board of a little uh, organization uh, that's that, that of, a, of some friends of ours that have served pastors for 30 years. It's called the Mountain Learning Center, and they bring pastors up for retreats to deal with crisis situations. And trust me on this one, there nothing can there there's a ministry without prioritizing things correctly can bust up a marriage. It can happen, and it does happen. And so all of these things have to be clarified and. Gosh, we're out of time here. I, I want, you know, there's, there's so, much, so, so much to say in so little time, and, and people are getting, you know, we're going to nod yeah, off let's here. Let's just jump to... Exactly. Uh, yeah. I think we should jump to this. A quick thing. Making marriage a priority does not mean you, you cave and buckle to everything the other person wants. It's all in your outline. Being responsible for the other person's happiness. There are people who cannot be happy no matter what you do. And, if, you, and if, you have, if you're married to one of those, you have to kind of re, reconfigure this a little bit because you can't make them happy. You have to understand you can treat them well, but taking <clears> responsibility <throat> for that you can't do. Uh, doing things that are unethical, illegal, or immoral. Um, we once were aware of a, of a Bible study where it was for women and it was all about submission. And the teacher said, your job, women, is to submit to your husband no matter what. If he wants you to, to, if you get pregnant, he wants you to have an abortion, you, he, is, God is, he is responsible to God, and you are responsible to follow him, period. Well, I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think, I don't know, pastor, I don't believe that's, uh, he's shaking his head. Yeah, I, I would say that, I don't know what, exi- what version that was. Um, making your spouse a functional idol, yeah, not, not what we were talking about. And feeling like a failure if you can't meet all of her needs. All right, let me, let's move ahead because yeah, I want let me, let me Terry to jump get onto this one. Yeah, it's, it's about time to fold in. But, you know, we mentioned this list of questions at, at the end, this, this concept of, 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 of checking in. Um, you know, the, the power of the counseling office is primarily that, that there's an appointed time where you, someone comes in and sits in a quiet, safe place where someone, me, is listening carefully, hmm. not judging, and then this person starts talking out loud about stuff that's just been swirling around in their head. And as they talk, things become apparent. Things kind of get clarified. And I ask questions and I, I do a little guidance or whatever. But it's, it's the, this, this concept of staying in touch with your, with your spouse is the same thing. You could save a lot of therapy bills, see if you could just do this at home. <laughs> you know, but the idea is to sit and really ask the, the, these questions because most of us, those changes that are, that are trying to happen inside of us are usually swirling around without words for an awful long time before they finally, before they finally come out. You, you as, if you're married to someone, you wanna be first on the scene. You wanna be a first responder. So the benefit of like 
actually checking in and really having this time is that the other person gets to have this unhurried space where they can put things in words that have been just kind of rolling around. And guess what happens when you're sitting next to someone and you get to talk about what's kind of rolling around and they're not immediately trying to jump on it to fix it or to tell you why you're wrong or you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't think that, why you shouldn't think that. If that other person is a good listener, you feel drawn to them. This is like how to not have an affair, you know. You, you sit and you be that person that the other person gets to kind of start doing that, that download that they haven't had words for, but you're going to help them find some words and find out, well, I guess this is what's really bothering me. Maybe I should, maybe I should do something really. Well, how could I help, you know, how could I help you with that? Um, that there's, there's just so much. And, and you know, you, if you want to not wake up at year 20 and find that you don't know who you're married to because your value systems have, have diverted so drastically, this is, a, this is a chance. Obviously, you don't get to tell your spouse who they are or, or what, how their value systems are. But if you're the first, if you're the one that is sitting there helping someone struggle through some hard concepts, and you're listening well, you, your chances of your value systems being kind of woven together go way, 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 way up. So if, if I am, um, let's, uh, I'm trying to think of some silly example. Um, you know, if, if I'm thinking about becoming a Catholic and it's just sort of been rolling around and, and, and maybe Paul, because he's been a good student, notices that I've been reading Catholic books lately. I'm, I'm just pulling this silly example out of my head, but, you know, and if, if he just sort of sits down and goes, hey, I noticed you were reading this book, you know, and I was wondering, you know, what's, what's going on? And maybe I'm going to say, I don't know, it's just something about, you know, when we went to Europe and we went to that, the cathedral, it was just such a moving experience and I just wondered, what are we missing? You know, is there something about the, the beautiful pageantry and the liturgy? It's just kind of pulling and maybe he's going to say, well, tell me more about that and what, blah, blah. And, and so instead of me announcing, you know, two years from now that I've just signed up to become a Catholic and he's like, what? You know, it's like now we get a chance to talk through that all together and I'm, I'm much more likely, our paths are likely to stay, more likely to stay together. If he's the one right there kind of talking through these ideas with me. I mean, that's kind of a silly, drastic example, but you know, let's, let's say someone's unhappy with their job. You know, do you want an announcement in two years that, that your spouse is, you know, suddenly, you know, moving to Idaho because they got a new job? Or would you like to be the one that's sort of there thinking with him and her through the whole way where you've got actually some in, a chance at some real input, you know, to, to where their little fertile brain is going with all of that? Um, so talk about, uh, talk, so about. talk about uh, checking in. Uh, well, we've, we've been talking about it, and we will close with this. Um, checking in is something, it's like I, uh, I, I assign this to every married couple that comes to see me. I would say maybe 10% do it, which is just never ceases to amaze me. Um, it is the single most powerful tool that you could have in ensuring your marriage to be healthy.
And, you know, I, we, I like to recommend once a week. And we shoot for, you know, with us, it's, it's usually a couple times a month. But it's where it's a very intentional, scheduled time. It's like it's calendar. It's on the calendar. And I hate it when people say, oh, we just don't have time for that. Really? Would you rather go through a divorce? I don't get that. You know, it's like, it's like saying, I don't, you're a diabetic and you have to take insulin. Oh, I, don't, I don't really have time to take insulin. <laughs> really? Okay. That's Okay, um, but you know, here are the list of these these questions, and and um, you know, just take the time to to kind of go through these and really listen. And of course, that's and that's hard. And that's you guys. You know, men tend to want to fix things, and it's really hard to listen. You know, if someone, if your wife says, well, you know, the thing I'm most worried about this week is, you know, where this kid's going to go to school next next year. You know. And it's real, most men will jump in and say, well, you shouldn't be worried about that because we only have two options. And it's obvious that, you know, we're going to have to go with this option. It's like, yeah, you missed the, they missed the point. I'm talking about <laughs> the process here of, of what I'm feeling. And I just shut the door on you because you just went right to the fix it instead of listening to me. So um, we are going to wrap up because it is time to wrap up. And well, and on your sheet are a list of questions that you can use. And one of the things we do talk about is that the you know in the process of doing this, um, you got to listen to the other person. Without you know, she mentioned this, and this may be one person talking, the other listen, or we go back and forth. But the the point is to really be listening and doing this, um, and to set a time. No phones, no iPads, no iPhones, no, you know, well, you're not going to be interrupted. You know, kids can be doing something else. Get the dog away. Um, and this may be at a coffee shop. It may be on a walk. It could be when you're driving someplace. You don't, you don't have to do this every time. But unless it becomes an intentional habit like exercise, like eating well, it's not going to happen. Uh, we want to close with a really wonderful song, believe it or not. We're not going to sing it. Um, that gets at what we've been trying to say and hope maybe it will get around, uh, you know, we're, we do, we've been doing a lot of talking. You've been sitting here for a long time, and I appreciate that. But this is a song by Andrew Peterson, who's a wonderful songwriter. It's called World Traveler. Best song on, just about the best song on marriage I've ever heard, and, and certainly hits at this topic. Uh, one one uh, uh, parting shot, too, is... Um, and this is a shameless plug, but we, some of the stuff we talk about is in our very book, Your Spouse Isn't the Person You Married, uh, which uh, we have some here which are, we're bargain priced because it's going out of print, but it's good stuff. And um, if, if you want a copy, either, I don't know whether, five bucks, give, give, you know, give five bucks to Scott and he'll put it in the till. There They're really, yeah. So without further ado, we're going we're gonna to wrap up with this. So um, I'm going to, if you want to go ahead and start that? the... <laughs> we'll use that for our date night. Yeah, we'll use that for his date night, exactly. You'll help, you'll help Scott and Adrian have, have, by buying our book and giving them there five bucks. That's right. For each book you buy, there they will have go. a decent date night. You you know, and if you sell four books, they can go to the movies. And if you sell ten, they can go and have some dinner. Before so we're going to send them to Starbucks, guys, or a nice dinner. You know? Okay, off we go. I grew up in a little town A southern mix of lost and found Where most folks seem to stick around Oh, but I could hear the highway song I'd sit out on the dock till dawn And dream about the great beyond 
was a world traveler Set me loose to find my way Just get me out on the road someday With my sails unfurled So many mysteries I wanted to unravel If I could travel the world I had my way I saw the world the Lord has made Mostly from the interstate Oh, but I had hardly seen a thing Until I gave that golden ring To the one who gave her heart to me And I became a world traveler That's the day I hit the road I walked the hills of the human soul Of a tender girl I'm a world traveler She opened the gate and took my hand Led me into the mystic land Where her galaxies swirl So many mysteries I never will unravel I want to travel the world Take a left to the end of my just a few doors down Up the hill and into the trees There's a hole in the ground Where we travel the caverns so deep Wandered the wonders so wide It was right beneath our feet All this time All this time Well tonight I saw the children in their room Little flowers all in bloom Burning suns and silver moon And somehow in those starry skies The image of the maker lies Right here beneath my roof tonight So hold on tight I'm a world traveler your bags and dig down deep Ride the storms and sail the seas to the distant pole I'm a world traveler into these uncharted lands To blaze a trail in the vast expanse of the heart and soul In the grace of the God of peace, let's wade into the battle So come on, come on with me and get up in that saddle There's a million mysteries I'm Travel the world So come on, come on with me come back next week. We're going to have a lot more fun. The topic is fun, and we're going to lose that app. Actually, I figured out how to make it work. Mm -hmm. I was pushing. I was, I was, I was. I'm kidding. Did you notice how smoothly oh, that yeah. went, that last segment went? Mm -hmm. Because I was touching the wrong yeah. spot mm -hmm. in the yeah. icon, uh -huh. and now I figured mm -hmm. the right spot. We won't be, it'll go yeah. much better next time. And I won't be on Vicodin next week for gum surgery, so yay. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> that worked out well. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, okay. thank you so much for those that have come tonight. Thank you for your word, for what you've taught, for all you've accomplished for, for us, for your creating the institution of marriage and the family, for coming to this planet and dying for us so that we can know you and for that to be the most important thing, the one thing. Thank you for this church and thank you for the, 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 the numbers of children that are running around here tonight learning your word and understanding who you are and how important that is and how critical that is. Thank you for um, giving us a, a community where we can do that peacefully and, and, and openly. And um, you're a great God. You're the only God. And we thank you for being here tonight. And uh, pray that you'll, you'll speak to those that are here. Bring them to a closer bond with you and with each other uh, as a result of this tonight. In your son's name. Amen. Amen.